And welcome to episode 50 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. For those of you keeping score, that's two full years, 25 episodes a season that we have now completed. Go us. Yeah. Uh, we do not end up getting a break at the end of the season, as Mandy has asked, so don't worry about that if you are worried about that because it looks like we used up a couple of extra weeks for different times throughout the year where one of us or more of us could not get to recording. We use all our PTO. We've used our vacation days elsewhere. <laughs> yes. Things to work on for next yeah. year. <laughs> Podcast goals. Days off. Are you going to introduce yourself? Didn't I? No, you didn't. I got distracted? Yeah, yeah. All right. As always, I am your host, Michael Haig. I am your co-host, Sarah Lucas. And I'm your co-host, Mandy Conant. I was apparently very excited by episode 50. I think we all were. It's okay. (laughs) 50 episodes and more than 30,000 listeners. Ah, That's amazing. It only took us 50 episodes for me to get a dedicated space to record in. Oh, goodness. I'm not that lucky yet. So this has been a bizarrely lighthearted beginning to this episode, given (laughs) the content that this episode is going to end up having. Interesting. Attached to this episode is going to be three links that the survivor group, so not the survivor pod, but the actual group of survivors from the polyamory me too set of posts asked us to read, respond to, and link to this episode. Interesting. Did everybody get to read? I definitely did. Did anyone else read them? I very much did. I didn't even see them. So it's surprisingly dark. Yeah. The first article they wanted to read is called a final update from the FV survivor support team. And there's a lot of difficult information in this update because they are liquidating the support team and so thus this final update but they're doing it not because the work is necessarily done although I don't know what work is exactly still happening which we'll talk about in the other two articles respond more to that but because they say that this support team mishandled some elements of this case now they are very clear that they didn't mishandle any of the content as far as the stories that were told or the accusations that were leveled all of that is legitimate and accurate. What they mishandled was, I guess, pod itself had some sort of goals that none of the articles tell us exactly what they were. And those goals were not necessarily survivor-centric. And I can understand how that could happen because when you read books on how to do transformative justice, you know, you have to choose what kind of transformative justice you're doing. Sometimes you're using a survivor-centered approach. Sometimes you're using a justice-centered approach. And they were not apparently using a a survivor-centered approach, which I did not know and is interesting. Hmm. And they didn't communicate the goals right? Clearly, either. It's not clear what did and didn't get communicated because they're using very, it's only like a couple pages on there and and then the I think they wanted to let the survivors speak for themselves on what did and didn't happen and then the survivors basically said it doesn't really matter what happened, it's over and it wasn't good. Yeah, I just thought that the first article where the group that was handling all this I thought that they said that the, the goals were not communicated to Franklin's pod correctly. Yes, that is true. There was a moment where the survivors, before they even went public Public put together a clean list of specific asks and the survivor pod then said that they would release those to Franklin and Franklin's pod when certain conditions were met, which was not something that the survivors had asked for. So they were never even communicated, yeah. Right, and then never allowed the conditions to be qualified as having been met. And they say uh, their own description that their conditions were maybe too vague to ever specifically be met either. 
Yeah. And there was no direct action items for Franklin to follow up on in that context. There is, again, they're very clear that they, you know, and I think this is true from what we saw from the public post that we saw, that there doesn't look like there was anything from Franklin or his pod that was in the direction of meeting those asks even had they been given. Yeah. Or attempting to cooperate in this process in any way other than just to sort of get out from underneath it. Like, not because he was worried about it. The public image stuff. Yeah, I mean, the what we saw when everything was happening was just him posting defensive blog posts, right? Yeah, and, and his group posting similar, like, there's nothing here you can get mad about kind of posts. Don't tarnish a good name kind of stuff. Right. So it was just all very defensive and nothing that was constructive Correct. whatsoever. This is a very tricky language because we're saying basically that the pod did not support the survivors the way that they feel that they ought to have and apparently as the survivors feel that they ought to have, but does not mean that none of the stuff that they said is accurate. And they use a lot of language that I can't completely make clear because it says things like withheld information, but it's not clear to me if withheld information means intentionally did not give information or didn't know that we hadn't passed it on. There was a communication breakdown. failed. Yeah. It didn't reach them. That's not clear in the language. That's happened in some of the processes I've been a part of where you think you had a liaison giving people information, you gave them the information to give them, and then a month later it turns out they hadn't given it to them yet, and then the group's mad they didn't hear your answer, but you did give an answer, but it didn't get, you know what I mean? So I'm not sure what withheld means in this context. They do say they refused to let the survivors set priorities. Quote, we refused to let survivors set priorities and we justify these choices using procedural excuses and rhetoric about transformative justice or concerns about pod member well-being. And I think that their hearts were in the right place. I think they were trying to protect the survivors and it just ended up creating further damages. It just wasn't executed correctly. Yeah, and that is part of the danger and concern, of course, with alternative justice processes is that there's not a lot of expertise in the field because there's not really a way to get paid in the field. Because if you're certified, for example, as if you're certified as almost anything, you would actually have to turn actual accusations over to like the police Mm -hmm. or you wouldn't be able to do an alternative justice process if you're certified under certain quantities, you know. And so you're you're working from a certain perspective, unless the thing claimed wasn't criminal in some way, which is also possible. And I know some of the people here were certified, but they even had transformative justice consultants and people they were actually paying on some element, although how much they got to pay them, how many hours of work they got, how much of the practice they were a part of. Those are all things we don't know and we'll never know. Yeah, so, right, I do think their hearts in the right place. I think that's clear. I've interacted with this group a lot. I think that they wanted to help. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm disappointed. I'm incredibly disappointed because I really thought that we would be able to use this as an example of how great transformative justice can be. The just how to do it, the possible outcomes. Like I just really wanted this. I wanted it to be something more. I guess. How did how did this come up? Like how how why were they pressed to feel the need to come out this? Where where did it reach ahead where they're like, okay, we need to come out and say, look, we're sorry we didn't do this right. So the survivors asked to take over the process and for the team to be disbanded. Oh. So that is where the need to have the discussion about why that's happening is is coming up. Okay. Can we touch on Reed Michalko's role in all of this? Because it's it is directly addressed. 
It has a section called Unread Mihalko's Role. It's also a section where I wouldn't call any of the descriptions direct, if that makes sense, that all the language makes it very unclear. Yeah, it's it's very it's very cloudy, for sure. So we talked before about how Reed Mihalko, who had apparently gone through their own transformative justice process at some point, was originally selected to deliver the call-in letter. And then afterwards, his role was expanded to liaising with Franklin's pod after that pod had been convened. And they say the survivors were never consulted about this development. Nor were his survivors. Which is where I had the big, like, I just, if you remember when we talked about this to begin with, I didn't think this was a good idea to involve Reed. It just screamed ew to me. I felt like this was a wrong turn. I see, because it was sort of celebratory of the work that he had done, but the work that he had done was predicated on harms. Right. I don't think he was the person that should have been in that role, even as that small liaison prior to the expansion of his role. The one thing about it that looked positive to me and then obviously the way that that discussion didn't happen is not good, but that looked positive about it to me was I thought that he might be the one person that could reach out and say, this has been a positive thing right. for me to have and done. And you said that. Let me talk about how it can work. Yeah. And I will say, again, from doing these processes myself, the absolute hardest part, and this is from the reading, this is from my experience, this is from everything, is getting buy-in from the person doing harms and of the accountability pot itself. And so if it's not harmful, almost anything that you can do that helps you build that bridge makes, like, I can understand, but not, not involving the survivors on either side is obviously not what I would mean by that. I not of course we had no way of knowing that at the time when we were discussing what was happening. Right. What and I guess what's surprising to me almost is I thought it was clear that he was in a liaison behavior and they say that they had a siloed system so that the survivors didn't know about this and I guess the survivors were intentionally avoiding reading their press releases because I mean they, it was very clear from what we were reading that that was what was mm-hmm. happening and it was very public and we've talked about it publicly so I'm not I'm not 100% sure how that was hidden in the, in the way that they mean it, but but I don't know what the system was. And don't get me twisted. I've met Reed, and he's an awesome person. I'm not privy to all of the information about his transformative justice. You know, I, I just... I would have said that about anyone who had already been through the process, was elected to partake in this process, in the role he was, without anyone being consulted, any victims at all being consulted... It just, it just screams you to me. Well, and I didn't know that no one had been consulted. Hmm. No, we didn't know that. I don't know if Reed stepped up or if he was asked to be part of this. Do you remember what the case was? Language looked like they'd asked him, but I don't know. Okay. I I wonder if it was done for some type of reparation on his behalf. Like if he accepted... Because if he was the person trying to represent the success of the process, it means the process must have succeeded. And so it was sort of like a certification that he was better. Yeah, make him look a little better. I just have to wonder that. It says that he was selected to do the call-in letter, but then it expanded, but it doesn't say who chose to expand his role. The survivor pod did. They didn't Mm -hmm. say what that, why. Yeah. But again, the survivor pod is the support team, not the survivors. And, well, his expanded role isn't really described either. No, although I can tell you from the language and from my experience with these process, I'm guessing when they say they talk about his expanded role as a liaison, I think, and they talk about an information bottleneck, and I've seen processes fail for similar reasons i think what they're talking about is basically the team the survivor support pod would put together the information that they wanted franklin to get and then they would give it to reed and then reed would then 
relay that to Franklin's team, and then they would talk, the team would talk back to Reed, and then Reed would talk back to the, and it becomes a game of telephone that's just far too distinct, you know, right. when you have this information bottleneck, and that's what they said, is that there were miscommunications and changes in, in what was being, like, misinterpretations about what was being said. Distortions, yeah. Yeah, distortions happening in the information bottleneck. They don't say anything about Reed doing anything wrong here, but they do say he didn't have the expertise to do that, which I can say that's an incredibly difficult role. If you're the only go-between for a a person accused of doing harms and their accountability pod, that's an incredibly difficult and demanding role that you need to be very prepared for. Right. That should have been, the person chosen to do that should have had some type of experience in that role, some type of qualification in that role. Just because he had been part of his own did not qualify him for that role. And I think that that's where they went wrong. Yeah. Sure. Well, he doesn't know what went into that, yeah. to the liaison work at yeah. all. Mm-hmm. Like being the person yelling at a liaison isn't the same as experiencing what it's like to be in that stressful position at all. Yeah. I just, I think that he was, he was set up for failure by, by himself and by everyone else. I'd like to pivot to, they say now the survivors are going to take over whatever that looks like from here on out. And part of what that looks like is they turned over all the codes and such to the medium account that they've been using to the survivors and the survivors posted their own message called a message from the FV survivors. One of the big things that they say is that basically they're a very diverse group of people who had varying reasons for wanting to participate in this process. And many of them may or may not have been part of the transformative justice as their goal. And I like that they said that. I like that some of them, I mean, to me, in my translation, that means some of them didn't give a shit whether he learned from it or not. You know, I may be speaking wrong, but that's what I'm reading is that some of them, they just wanted their story heard and to help the other ones. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, that does, that's sort of what I would guess, but I don't want to put words in their mouth that they didn't choose to put on paper since they were writing these things. But we all know about memory. Memory is very subject to distortion. Looking back at the different time lengths, the different relationships, uh, there was an attempt being very clearly made to make an analysis of all of the stories and to make an overarching narrative that was being produced by the survivor pod. And that is one of the things that the survivors most apparently rebelled against, that some of the people said that the meta narrative did not, in their opinion, represent their voices. So that's part of the reason why they migrated all the stories to an entirely new website, which is the third link. And the third link is called I Tripped on the Polyamorous Missing Stair. And it has all of the stories that they had from before and some more stories they're still collecting and is open as an archive about those experiences. But it has links to the analysis that the survivor support pod created, but by linking them as off-site analysis of a specific group as opposed to the survivor claimed analysis it changes the lens and so it's not like a, well we're just assuming this is what happened it's more like you can make your own conclusions and if you agree with this analysis that's fine and they do say that they actually invite additional analysis if other people wanted to to read the stories and write analyses about it they do have a note on the transformative justice process they say that they do think there was an enormous effort on the part of the survivor pod who came together with good intentions and a powerful desire to intervene in harms in their communities. They said many of them received much needed support and empathy, but they said that in their understanding of transformative justice practice, the survivor pod centers the needs and inputs of the survivors, which then in turn form the actions of the accountability pod, and that they didn't feel that that happened in this case. 
like most decentralized movements, there's not one way to do these things so far. I do think that having transformative justice processes that do not center survivors, to my mind, doesn't make sense if there are survivors willing to be centered. Sometimes you have a situation where you've seen something, like imagine that you were witness to all the things in the survivor archive, but none of the survivors wanted to take any action because of the own, their own trauma and their own needs. And imagine if you were, say, in charge of a group, you might feel that you had to do something to protect the rest of your group from similar predations, but not have any survivors who are willing to do that. And to insulate those survivors, it might help you to make it not a survivor-led process, i.e. you could even talk to them and support them without making them make decisions so that they have, you know, actual deniability. It's not our choice whether or not they go forward with this because it's not about us, it's about harms that have been witnessed in the community. And in a sense, you can make the witnesses the center of the structure of the process if the survivors cannot or do not want to be part of that process. But when you have a situation like this one where you had so many very willing survivors participating and very strong survivors participating. And they were very invested in participating. So when you have a group of survivors like that, I don't know why you wouldn't want to leverage that. Among other things, it's the most powerful emotional response that you have. It's a lot easier to say to someone, these people that you hurt need this than it is to say to them, I just think you should do this because I think it would make you a better person if you did. (laughs) Because who are you to do that? You know, who are you to tell me what I need to do to be a better person? So it's just more powerful, as among other things, but it's also, obviously, I think, the right thing to do. The other thing that I think is interesting about this that's different from the processes I've been involved in is that all the processes I've been involved in have been inside of an existing community structure. And this attempted to take transformative justice to someone who's outside of a specific structure, right? So, you know, it's asking, like, people writ large, the polyamorous community writ large, to make changes as opposed to saying if you want to participate in this community we need you to participate in this process Hmm. and i think that's a lot harder to do Mm -hmm. makes sense and it also seems like an almost unlimited goal i can see they have some notes somewhere in one of the articles i can't remember which one i think the survivors article actually mentions how much it's cost the people in the support pod to participate and i mean it, it has i'm sure emotionally professionally time I can't even, they're very difficult to do these processes and very costly. So having an open-ended process, trying to deal with someone who was, before all this started, one of the, I mean, the stars of polyamory community, really, outside of any structure at all, is incredibly daunting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't I can't even imagine going up against someone who was supposed to be such a pillar in our community. Yeah. And so their line here from the survivors is, regardless of intent, it is clear that such a framework, which references a transformational justice framework, was not in place during this process. Nor do we believe that Franklin would ever have engaged in an accountability process in a way that was more than performative. And they think, like we had said as well, that his public pronunciations prove them right. Yeah. And this clarification, therefore, should not be taken in any any way as a vindication of Franklin or of his pod members. So the one thing that I would argue here is they say that no transformative justice process could take place with Franklin. Most transformative justice processes do not, in the end, get the engagement of the person doing harms. Hmm. Okay. That's a very rare outcome. That's like a 10% or less outcome. Makes sense. That's not always the goal. So part of the goal for the processes that we engage in is the fact that they're still in the community no matter what you do. So if you decided that you didn't want to do anything 
at all, then that person's still floating around in the community, potentially harming people. If you decide to simply throw them out of your community or the communities you can control, they get thrown out of some communities but not other communities, and it tends to polarize groups, and the groups they don't get thrown out of think that they're great, and they continue doing those harms there. Did you see that they have specific asks now? Yeah, I'm going to get to those. Okay. I'm just responding to the, the note about no transformative justice process did take yeah. place. Because I do actually think that in many ways this was sort of widely successful. It got people talking in the polyamorous communities about these harms more than they had been. The survivors do somewhere in here note that this isn't like a aberrant behavior, that this kind of behaviors, that the accusations of harms, that they specific harms they list are they're ubiquitous. That if you're in a poly group, there are people in that poly group doing the harms that they they list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, visibility for this, it, it definitely increased visibility. It increased awareness of what an accountability pod and, and transformative justice unit were. And, and so... For sure. I think that there are definitely some positives that come out of it. They actually cite being able to connect with each other. I'm going to quote this right here. That one of the benefits to us of this process has been the opportunity to heal relationships damaged by Franklin's triangulation and lies. So Mm. they obviously found some type of benefit with it too. So I don't know if I would go as far as you would say and say that it was successful. I wouldn't say it was successful, but I'm saying the process can be successful without the involvement of the person who was accused. Right. And the way that they had worded it was, it's now clear that no such process could have you know, worked because Franklin was never going to participate. And what I was saying is that was never a requirement of the process succeeding. And that's something that you shouldn't think of as a requirement for transformative justice to be successful. But I think that that was part of maybe what they really wanted. Yeah, well, maybe that is what they wanted. I'm not against that. I'm I'm speaking here to the definitions of transformative Mm -hmm. justice that I have read and as I understand it. Because if you do the response, and even if it's super successful, so if you just give the the information and you say, they did this, here are asks, they are bad. Then people just decide whether they think it's true or not. And we saw from the very, at the very, when the very first article came out, how many people stood up and said, I don't think it's true. I think these are lies. I think they're just trying to get attention. But when you have a process like this that goes on for months, years, I think this one's like a year old in this case, actually. I think actually episode 25 is the Franklin Bow episode. So I think it's like exactly a year. I think so. Interesting. And the other side is never putting out positive responses. They're never coming to a middle ground. They're never even admitting that they could harm or showing empathy or showing compassion or showing concern. It's hard to keep your head in the game just lying about things for a year. Well, it reminds me of somebody saying... um, uh, he's not gay. He's just doing this for attention, you know, or she's not gay. She, right. Because why would you put yourself out there for all the ridicule? Right. For a lie. Like, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. It, it just makes absolutely no sense why it would be a lie. That's true, but that's always true. What I'm saying, the benefit of the process like this is, is that after a year, it's really hard for someone to go, no, I think they just consistently battled and fought some of them committing, you know, damaging their own careers and lives over a lie for a year. Meanwhile, you know, the other side never said anything that we could relate to or that looked like they were trying to help or like they were participating in any way for a whole year. It's hard to say, okay, well, I don't know anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, like after like that amount of information is out there and that time span is out there, it's a lot easier to look and go, okay, okay. Because that's what, you know, these processes are a lot about when I talk about having one that's specifically anchored to an existing community structure where it's not like a meta community like this was, like not all of polyamory, but like Mm -hmm. your 
polyamorous group is that when the person finally does get removed, you're like, it's not like we just threw them out. We didn't just hear an accusation and throw them out. We did everything we could. Absolutely. We put all this effort into it. We brought all these people in. We heard the sides, every side of the story, and we just couldn't get it to work. We just could not. I mean, you know, and every opportunity for them to change was given and we just couldn't, we couldn't get it. Because I think that these asks they have now are asks that if, so we're going to get to their list of asks and I wanted to preface it with this, where if I had gotten this list of asks as the only list written on the original publication without the transformative justice process attached to it, I would have been a lot harder to just back them because they are basically just completely remove Franklin's platform. Yeah. Mm. And as much as that's something I would like to do for someone in a case where I'm fairly sure the platform is harmful, I am not an expert in it in, you know, in this case. In the beginning, their list of asks were much nicer. Um, nicer, yeah. <laughs> They were they were much more lenient and much more sugar-coated than these are. And that's how these processes are supposed to look, mm-hmm. right? More or less, let's put them in timeout while they work with us. While they're working with us, we're going to give them the asks that we actually want them to do, mm-hmm. which also we're going to look at the list of asks that they had put together for Franklin that he never got. So these aren't asks for the community. These are asks that they had actually put together for him, the, the one that was never delivered by the survivor support pod to him. I do want to clarify that if... Us and the rest of the world saw the list. I'm sure that Franklin had access to the list at some point. Different list. A different list? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? I am nearly pot. Well, I'll pull it up and we'll read it. And if we've read it, then we'll know, right? I'm pretty sure that we had the list of asks in the beginning. Um, it wasn't communicated to him in the transformative justice process, maybe. Yeah, I never have saw, seen this list. This list okay. is new to me. You saw their original asks for, well, and they were partly for him and partly for the community, which was like, don't let him speak on these topics for now. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Is that not this list yeah, yeah. that we're talking about? No. No, oh. no. That for me is the sort of the opening, the, okay, here's our position. Here's the timeout. Let's remove you from a position to danger people. Mm-hmm. And then here's our list of asks of what we would need to see from you to want to take away the provisions. So those are like sanctions, right? So like you're sanctioning them while you're trying to work through the problem. So that was, we had the original list. So then this is the list they wanted to be sent to him. So these are the things that they believe would be Franklin taking accountability. Oh yeah, you're right. We didn't. Yeah. We never saw these. First was complete and abuse intervention intake with allies in charge in Portland, Oregon, or another similar organization and give the intake counselor access to this letter which is the original call-in letter and the contact information from the survivor liaison who can give the counselor access to key survivor testimonies fully complete any treatment program recommended by the intake counselor stop seeking or accepting interviews or speaking engagements on relationships ethics or polyamory until your accountability team and your intervention counselor agree that it is appropriate for you to begin teaching on these topics again at the top of all of existing and future blog posts and pages about abuse add a statement that you are undertaking or later have completed an accountability process with a link to a page where updates about your process are posted add a similar statement and link to the top of your quora profile so this was their actual asks for his like rehabilitation option basically and what they're saying is that that was never communicated to him this list that was not sent that's right it was not sent and we were not given an opportunity to make additional requests That's the part that the survivor pod did wrong, according to the survivors. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to ask if 
it was never discussed with Franklin. How does he know what they want? That is an interesting question, although it's public now and I have a hard time thinking that he won't have known about that list of asks somewhere going forward. But yeah. And the survivors do say, and I enjoy, I like this because this is, and for me, a big part of, I want to say these transformative justice processes, but for me, the transformative justice processes, which they're not participating in anymore, using that label anymore, which is fine, are part of being a, a certain type of a person that's compassionate and believes that everyone deserves the possibility of reintegration, given the desire and willingness to participate in a pro-social way, is that they will still take messages from not Franklin, but a counselor that Franklin is working with to do the work as listed in that ask. Hmm. So if he does go to a, a counselor like that, that counselor can contact them and they're willing to provide the testimonials and such that they might need if that person meets the qualifications requirements that they have. I mean, that's a huge amount of effort from trauma survivors, if you ask me. So mm-hmm. that's a huge deal. Hats off to them. Yes. And I'm very grateful for them for that. So given that there has been no movement on Franklin participating in any of those things, what they would like to see is this is their list of asks now. For the community. Uh, for the community. Yeah. As the process wraps up. Don't interview Franklin or refer to him, sorry, or refer him for interviews on relationships, polyamory, sexuality, or abuse. Do not book Franklin to speak on these topics. Avoid sharing Franklin's polyamory or BDSM pages or blog post. Stop buying or recommending The Game Changer. If you have ever promoted or reviewed The Game Changer or interviewed Franklin, add a note with a link to their website, which is www.itrippedonthepolystair.com at the top of the page. And they say they prefer this over deleting the content as Alicia rewrites history and will just ensure that only supportive content remains visible. Don't harass Franklin or anyone connected to him. This is an ask they had in the original and they continue to have this. Our purpose is to list his harms and tell their own stories. We do not wish to contribute to a cycle of violence. You're here. And then they do have a follow-up note, which is an important distinction. While some may see these as punitive measures, consequences and punishment are not the same thing. No one is entitled to power or a platform, and removal of power is not the same as isolation or ostracism. And they also note that Franklin has many other skills he can use to learn a living, so this is not his one and only skill set, and has lots of friends who obviously remain loyal to him even now. And to note, you know, that if that he can stay, they're not asking any of the communities to eject him. They just say, if he wants to remain in any polyamorous or sex-positive community he is involved in, he may do so in the background, helping others and lifting up their voices, washing dishes and stacking chairs as so many others have done for him. And that's sort of the end of that letter. Now, the, the last link we don't really need to go into. It is an archive. It's, it's their it's their survivor statements and their accounts of what happened and and also links to analyses and they say they will add additional links if they are relevant later in the future and we do encourage people to go read them yes we do encourage you to go read them if you have not we've encouraged you to do that a couple of times they've added a few more since the last time we talked please still go please still read them listen to their experiences they're important. So one important function of the new website is, though, they say, we welcome outreach from other people who have experienced relational harm from Franklin or current partners considering or in the process of leaving him. And you don't even have to be willing to tell your story publicly to seek solidarity and support from their group. They also have an email address, polystare at gmail.com. If anyone needs help associated with this that is in those circumstances, 
you can still reach out to them. And I think that's also wonderful of them to continue providing that support. How incredible. How incredible is that for the survivors to offer support to anyone else that needs the support from having survived Franklin or in the process of surviving Franklin and Franklin's harms. Participating in any of this in any form is very difficult. You get in with the best intentions and you go through it with the best intentions and it doesn't always work out the best possible way. You know, it still looks to me like it was better than if they hadn't started it at all. Yeah. You know, they have this archive, they have this solidarity, they have these friendships. There was this work done that everybody got to hear about transformative justice processes and these harms in our communities. There's now critical work about about works that Franklin was involved in, which before had completely uncritical reception. You know, just read this. It's great. It's the first thing you should read when you start being poly. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, read this, but also read this article about how the underlying structure of the work could actually get you into a position of being abused. Mm -hmm. You know, like... <laughs> Uh, really, really important changes to the scholarship around polyamory, if we can call it that. You know, the barrier there is a little bit lower than normal scholarship, but that's because we're a smaller community, so that's going to happen. You know, so I think all of that's really important. I think this archive is really amazing. You know, again, all the work that everyone, both in the pod and in the survivor group, put into it is amazing. And I definitely empathize with people who can pour your heart out doing everything you can to help people and then realize, oh my god, I made this one critical mistake or this group of critical mistakes and I thought it was helpful, but actually, right. I ended up hurting people. Like I said, it definitely sucks because I, I did. I wanted this to be, I wanted it to be an example. Not, I mean, not, not Franklin or the survivors. I wanted the process. Yeah, you wanted this to be like a template. I did. I did. That's exactly right. I wanted it to be a template. Let's point to this best case scenario and here's how we can do that to handle other people that have had these sort of problems. Yeah. And I mean, the thing though, and this is important to remember, 5% of convicted death row inmates were pretty sure didn't do the thing they're there for. Justice processes across the board don't work yeah. all the time. You know, the, the thing is, you're very, people are tempted, always tempted, when there's an outlier or something new that doesn't work to go, oh, that never works. See, I told you transformative justice was worse than traditional justice. Okay, well, first of all, there's no traditional justice for the harms that were listed for Franklin in these spaces. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. Maybe you could put together a civil suit for, like, emotional damage and get some money. But there's no traditional structure in mm -hmm. place to stop him or bar him from speaking on these topics and protect other people. Right? No, so we have no... to do this as a community, though. Right. Yeah. But you see my point, though, right? That, yeah. that there's no system for this traditionally, first of all. So, you know, like, because, well, because people are asking, you know, why model poly community systems on transformative justice instead of traditional justice? And you're like, well, traditional justice has just as many problems. It actually has many more problems and is way less empathetic than the transformative justice. Mm -hmm. The reason that I think that polyamory should embrace transformative justice is it's more communicative. Sure. It's so much more communicative than any other type of justice, which is mm -hmm. what we base our community on is communication and understanding. So I really, I just think that that's, if that's what we're going to base our community on, that's what we should base our justice on our just or just our restorative systems on is is communication. I've made a lot of arguments for transformative justice, and I stand by all the ones I made. I just am trying to say, don't look at this one thing that didn't work out or even this one piece of something that didn't work out. Because, again, you know, my bar for most of these sorts of processes is if the outcome was better than if the process hadn't happened, it was a good process. 
It wasn't the best process. There were problems. There were mistakes. You have to look at it, learn from it, do better. It's great that they publicize where they went wrong so that other people can... Because, yeah. like I said, in the material it says, like, you you don't have to center survivor needs. You can do it this other way. And this experience says, but if you do, you'll probably hurt survivors. So maybe instead yeah. of you can do it with or without them, it should be you should always center them if at all possible to do so. And only in scenarios where you're worried about harms and you cannot center them for some reason of safety or, you know, willingness or something. I do love that it was, you know, there was a statement put out about, you know, we are dissolving this. This is why we're dissolving this. This is where we went wrong. You know, I, I, I do think that that's great. Yeah, I appreciate that. If that's the runner up for this, then I'll take it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, Seriously. It, yeah. It's good. Go down that we are at least learning from what went wrong here. Yeah, and the archive got made, which it wouldn't have without the process because right. that was a whole bunch of organization work to get that typed up and written. They do want to give a special thanks to Louisa, and I'm going to butcher this, Leon Tiades. I think that I said that right, Leon Tiades, for putting together the stories and documenting their experiences on the website. So, right. So, you know, that I don't know if that would have happened without the pro this process, you know. So there right. are good things that happened that came out of this. And we're going to link all three articles, right? We're going to link all three. Yeah, yeah we're going to link all three. But what I'm saying, though, is, you know, and if anyone in polyamory knows this thing, right? Well, I did a poly relationship one time and I know they can't work because my one attempt didn't work. Mm. I want you to apply that logic that you're constantly telling monogamous people to transformative justice. Like just because yeah. this transformative justice process was not a pristine, perfect example of how this can solve all of our problems doesn't mean it's not still the best system that we've got access to yeah. doesn't mean that it's not an improvement over other systems and does not mean that it does not work or does not fit our communities. It is better than nothing. It is better than nothing. Yeah. And in my analysis, it's better than nothing. And it looks like it's better than what would have happened even in this context, maybe without it. Survivors say that this might not even be as implemented really transformative justice because it didn't center the survivor's needs. Right. And didn't liaise with the survivors appropriately. It didn't do exactly what, it, what they wanted it to. It did do some good things. Right. And just because a specific group of people didn't necessarily implement it ideally doesn't mean that the ideal implementation isn't still even yeah. better than this. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, I'll take it as a runner up <laughs> for sure. Right. And, I, and I'm glad that the survivors see it that way as well. Yeah. Whew. So this has been dense and hard and we don't want to make extra long episodes about dense, hard things. It is sort of the end of an era to some extent. I was actually just looking for updates on this the other day. I was curious how it was going, if there was any emotion on the accountability side. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> Are we going to, as a podcast, you know, I know that we haven't for a while mentioned him on sure. positive grounds. Are we going to make sure not talk about him anymore? I thought that was a foregone conclusion, given <laughs> the general <laughs> position we've taken on this entire arc. All right, I'm just making sure. <laughs> but yeah, no. Well, and the people think I'm lying or not at this point, so I'll just let them choose. But, you know, you guys know that I was talking to you about asking us not to talk about the books even before this happened, because I thought that they were philosophically unsound. I do remember it. Yeah. I thought that the writing led to abuse and damage. I do remember you saying that. And I was very concerned about that. And then, lo and behold, that month while I was deciding that, people came out and said, in fact... <laughs> yeah, so I just I just want to address the survivors and let them know that we support them. Absolutely. And we will do everything to the best of our abilities to support their asks. I have to add this clarifier. The, they did not ask 
for you not to read more than two. That is still significantly Eve's work, even if you read the companion piece that Eve put with it, and Thorn Tree Press does receive money from that book when purchased. So my perception of that book is my own analysis and is not part of their ask set, and I wanted to make that clear. But my point being that I didn't want to mention it anyway, and I definitely don't want to mention it positively at this point or any of his work positively since that's the best of it, if that makes right. sense. So um, as, a, as a personal message to the survivors, having gone through a similar experience in my life, I mean, this particular episode, I've struggled to even say anything. Um, and it's like, I applaud your efforts and your strength through this. Um, it's very, it hit, hits home for me. And I appreciate what you've done to help bring voice to the community about issues such as this and to try to take action to improve people I appreciate your work on a personal note. And we all do. Yes. Uh, not in, I can't connect with it in that way, but we yeah. all very much appreciate the work. I don't want to diminish what you were saying because that was very important, obviously. I just wanted to add my voice to the thanks. Yeah, you're good. You're good. <laughs> I knew what you meant. Yeah, so like I said, I don't want to keep this podcast any longer than it needs to be, but since we've covered all of the rest of this and all of the other updates, it felt like. We, we had to. We had to we had to close it off. And trust me, none of us wanted to. We read the articles and went, can we just not? Yeah. Or... Yeah. I was just uh... like, oh, oh. Like I said, I hurt. I hurt because I really yeah. wanted this to be positive. Mm-hmm. And I know that the survivors stated that they did get positives out of it. And I know there were small positives for the community, but I just... We're not going to have another benchmark case like this, though. No. Oh, and I don't even want Hopefully. one, because to get another God, benchmark no. case yeah. like this requires another major, major pillar of the community to get pulled down that'd be, to do that'd it. That'd be rough, yeah. You know, you were hoping that you could make something... Because any other cases we're going to have are going to be smaller cases. It's going to be like, oh, this you know, community did transformative justice well. This small process went mm-hmm. well. Yeah. But the like the meta massive processes like this are unlikely to happen. I mean, this is the first thing like it in the community that I've seen. This size. Yeah. This, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Small gains. Most most of improvement is small gains, I hate to say. Yeah. I know people hate that, but it's it's unfortunately true. Small uphill battles is where he knows what happens. Two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. But I still think there was a lot of gain here. I mean, transformative justice and alternative justice was work that I did for a semester in school. And it was never particularly personal to me. It was just more like, well, this is way better than our normative justice system that is totalitarian, terrifying, and horrible. Mm -hmm. But no one's ever going to use it anywhere. Yeah. This process centered the material in a way that allowed me to investigate it, connect with it, and apply it. And I don't know if that would have happened without it. And I think it's alive and well in the communities that I serve, at least, and in my own philosophical process now. And so at least for me, it was valuable. And I'm grateful for all the work that went into it. Oh, yes. Thanks to everyone that was involved. And thanks to all of you in the audience who actually paid attention, who followed the links, who read the things that we asked you to read, who read the stories of the survivors who are so important and whose voices really deserve to be heard. And it's honestly not too late. If you've just been listening to us cover this and you've gone, well, I'll read them one day, I'll read them one day. We're not going to cover it again. And, you know, unless the survivor wants to be on our podcast or something like it's not. I mean, there's no more updates. They're not putting out more updates. So unless they put out something or ask us to, there's no more coverage. Right. So now is the time to read it before you forget about it, before it fades for you, especially especially if you've read any of the work that's be, that they're talking about, including more than two, including the game changer, including the blogs, 
gone to see public appearances, if you've done any of that stuff, you've heard one side of the narrative, especially the game changer, which is literally the other side of these narratives. You should go read the other half of those narratives. And I encourage all of you to respect the Survivor Asks as well. Yeah. 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 Um, But again, thank you for engaging at whatever level you were able to engage. Because I know for some people this is triggering. I know for some people this is very traumatic. I know for some people it's very difficult to, to put any spoons into it all. Again, I don't want you to feel bad. You don't need to feel bad if you can't engage. You know, I just am trying to motivate as many people who are able to engage, but choosing not to, to engage as I can. I am not trying to shame anybody who has legitimate reasons for being unable to engage. But to the level of your ability to do that, we encourage it. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Till next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for two great years. (laughs) Yes, thank you. And we'll see you you with the first episode of season three in two weeks. And we are still dealing with COVID-19, so wash your hands, wear your masks. (laughs) Stay home. Stay the fuck home. We love you, Sam.